Hello there, my name is Danny Yeoman, wild bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. Welcome to the next of a number of podcasts detailing some of the amazing birds that we see and feed in our gardens. Every week we'll be looking at a different bird and this week we'll be looking at the often misunderstood magpie. I don't believe in fairy tales, I'm not superstitious and I wouldn't call myself particularly religious but one aspect of everyday life has me invoking medieval religious folklore. If I say one for sorrow, two for joy, you all know the animal I'm talking about. The whole verse of this famous British nursery rhyme about how many magpies one sees in a day has always seemed strangely ambiguous to me. The lines alternate between good and evil, as if we cannot make up our minds about this familiar bird. The rhyme ends with 13 magpies, but where it's the devil himself. Of course the magpie isn't the devil incarnate, but so ingrained in our psyche is this myth that like me you probably find yourself looking for another one after seeing a lone individual. Why do so many people look at magpies with such disdain? Maybe it's their tendency to dine on roadkill, or their occasional habit of killing and eating the eggs and nestlings of other birds that draw so much criticism. But magpies have their endearing qualities as well. Maybe we don't like them because we don't know them well enough, and what we think we know about them is almost always wrong. However, I've got a bit of a soft spot for them, but I seem to be one of the few. Personally, I think magpies are fascinating. For one thing, they're incredibly smart. Magpies have demonstrated the remarkable ability to recognise their own reflection in mirrors, something that was once thought to be a defining characteristic belonging only to humans. This might not sound that amazing, but out of countless species tested, only four ape species, bottlenose dolphins and Asian elephants have demonstrated this ability. Another endearing quality is the magpies are monogamous by nature. They will stick with one partner year after year, and if their partner dies, there is evidence that they have a tender side, feeling grief and routinely holding funerals for fallen partners and friends. This involves laying wreaths of grasses, and for some this is considered proof that these animals feel complex emotions, reigniting debate about whether emotions are a uniquely human trait or whether they're found across the whole animal kingdom. It's not just their lovable qualities that we need to address. We have to deal with the bad along with the good, and let's start with the supernatural. Magpies, wherever they live, haunt folklore. Sometimes they appear as a sinister omen, but equally often as a friend. Although in the UK a lone magpie is considered especially ominous, and if you're anything like my mother-in-law, you'd voice a respectful inquiry as to the health of the wife and children after seeing one. Researching the mythology surrounding the magpie is really interesting. The magpie was a very important and interesting mythical bird in the history before the Christians came along. This is evident as there was a concentrated smear campaign against the magpie after Christians showed up on the scene. It was said that the magpie represented the devil, as it didn't mourn the death of Christ. Both it and the dove sat on the cross. The dove caught the tears of Christ while the magpie seemed indifferent. The church also started a rumour that the tongue of a magpie contained a drop of blood from the devil. From this it was theorised that if you cut the tongue of a magpie to let out the drop, then it would be capable of human speech. Who knows how many magpies were mutilated as a result? 
But conversely, in China, magpies are seen as bringing good luck, and they are actually the national bird of Korea, where it's celebrated as a bird of great good fortune, of sturdy spirit and provider of prosperity and development. To Native Americans, the magpie is considered a friend and helper. And in Native American folklore, wearing a magpie feather is a sign of fearlessness in some tribes, as the magpie is bold and has little fear. Their malevolent reputation is also associated with the eye of glittering trinkets. Thieving magpie is a common insult. But do they? A study published a few years ago in the Journal of Animal Cognition found no evidence magpies were attracted to shiny objects offered to them. Indeed, the birds shunned the gifts. Instead, they had a neophobia. The researchers claimed the birds were afraid of the unfamiliar, wary of the baubles. So where on earth does this myth come from? We have to scroll back to 1815, where two French playwrights penned a historical melodrama called La Paix Valouse, in which a servant is sentenced to death for stealing silverware from her master when the real thief was his pet magpie. Moved by this Parisian urban myth, Rossini set an opera, La Gaza Landra, The Thieving Magpie, to the same story. This effectively nailed the magpie's character to the wall of popular opinion. The one area it's hard to deny is the predation of eggs and young chicks, and there is no doubt that magpies eat eggs and young birds of many species, from pheasants and partridges to blackbirds and song thrushes. But this is what magpies have always done, it's their niche, it's how they survive in a difficult world. We'll never see a vegetarian magpie and there's no point in hoping for it. I know for some of you who have been watching the happy courtship of a pair of blackbirds in your garden will be understandably upset when magpie dispatches the blackbird chicks on your lawn, but studies have shown that magpie raiding nests have no effect on the population of songbirds or game birds for that matter. Magpies will also scavenge on roadkill and other dead animals, I'm guessing that doesn't win them any friends. But if the taste for less than fresh meat is a character defect, remember that a pork chop is the flesh of a long dead pig, or two fried eggs are the unborn embryos of chickens. Tuna is nothing more than dead fish. But humans don't think in the terms of dead fish mayo and sweet corn sandwich. It seems scavenging is a relative trait. Whatever one's feelings are on magpies, it is undeniably a bird that stirs strong emotions. And sadly, despite all I've said, a lot of people are still going to see magpies as a nefarious creature, and there's little chance of persuading them otherwise. Hopefully I've convinced some of you. With regards to what they look like, well you can't miss them. Magpies are big, noisy and distinctive in their black and white plumage. Their elegant long tail adds to the tuxedo effect. They're basically crows in formal attire. Except they are not just black and white, but an iridescent deep green with flashes of slick petrol blue and purple. Their stubby wings and long tail fan into an art deco-like rays, and the whole colour scheme has a 1920s and 30s style. Actually in flight they remind me of an artist's impression of the proto-bird Artyopteryx, and I'm not alone. Many UK paleontologists refer to magpies as the avian dinosaurs, comparing them to T-Rex and Velociraptors. Certainly if you watch a magpie for long enough, you'll see the link between these modern birds and those ancient carnivores. An adult magpie is 44 to 46 centimetres in length, over 50% of which is its tail, and a wingspan of 52 to 62 centimetres.
His head, neck and breasts are glossy black with a metallic green and violet sheen. The belly and scapulars, shoulder feathers, are pure white. The wings are black glossed with green or purple and the primaries have white inner webs, conspicuous when the wings are open. The graduated tail is black, shot with bronze green and other iridescent colours. The legs and bill are black. Adult males and females are alike. Juveniles appear from May onwards and look similar to the adults. The only real difference is the length of the tail, which is much shorter, about the half the length of the adult. Magpies are very vocal birds. Their harsh repeated chattering, kaka kaka, call is unmistakable and can be commonly heard as a pair of magpies move through a garden. I always think they sound a little like an old football rattle. Magpies are also very social. They are monogamous and stick with the same mate until one of them dies. Both the male and female work as a team to create a huge dome nest of twigs and mud. The inside is lined with roots and grasses and hair. The entrance is often concealed and to the casual observer the nests are a haphazard ball of sticks but actually an engineering marvel taking up to 40 days to create. They breed between March and July with clutches of five to nine eggs. The male feeds the female while she's incubating the eggs for about 16 to 18 days and they both share the feeding of the young after that. The young can fly at three to four weeks and can feed with their parents after a few months. After that they tend to go off to join juvenile magpie colonies elsewhere but even after this their parents will continue to feed them for another three to four weeks. Reminds me of when I left home. Magpies have a strong multi-purpose bill that can deal with many different food items and for this reason magpies have a very varied diet that changes throughout the year. Their main diet in summer is invertebrates such as beetles, flies, caterpillars, spiders, worms and leather jackets, the larval stage crane flies, those flying daddy long legs my wife calls them, and you can usually see magpies hopping over your lawn looking for these high energy foods. When autumn and winter hits, their diet turns to mainly plant material, such as wild fruits, berries and grains. If suitable fruit or berry plants are unavailable, magpies will venture to nearby farmland. Although carrion will be eaten at any time of the year, when available, it's only during the spring, during the breeding season, that magpies will take eggs and young of other birds. What percentage of a magpie's diet is chicks and eggs is unknown, but it's estimated as little as 3%, and studies have shown that given a choice, magpies will choose a different food if available, so you might want to consider feeding your magpies rather than trying to discourage them. I love having magpies around my home. I initially put out Peter and Paul seed mixes to attract them, but I found that their clear favourite is Peter and Paul suet balls and cakes. An unprotected ball or cake could be consumed in a matter of hours, and encasing them in a feeder will only mean the birds become contortionists, hanging upside down with one leg while their beak scoops up the high calorie treat. It does slow them down a bit though. Suet bird food has to be worth the peck. Birds lead busy lives, and the amount of time it takes a bird to land on a feeder and peck, it has to be a bite that's worth the effort. 
However, some cheap suet products are not what you'd call great, and can and indeed do have up to 20% filler in them, which can be anything from sand, chalk dust or even glue. That's why I want to ensure at Peter and Paul we only supply the very best quality suet products, a product that is both as safe and nutritious as it could possibly be. So why are my suet products so good? Well, let's start with the suet. Suet is the most nutritious of all ingredients, so it stands to reason that the more suet a suet product has, the better it is. Peter and Paul suet products contain as much as three times the suet levels of other top brands. But that said, the more concentrated and higher quality the suet is, the better it is for birds also. Peter and Paul suet products only contain 100% human grade edible beef dripping, which happens to be a very dense form of suet, and therefore has a higher payback in calories per gram. To put it simply, the more suet a suet product has, and the better that suet is, the more birds you'll get in your garden. Peter and Paul suet products also contain an exciting ingredient, spirulina, which has proven to be a fantastic supplement for birds, highly beneficial to them. Spirulina makes a bird's plumage glossier, it intensifies their natural colour, improves their health and it can also increase fertility many folds. Basically it's wonderful and it's what makes my suet extra special. Just getting back to magpies, magpies do not migrate. They may move lower in elevation in winter, but they generally stick to the same areas year round. They tend to avoid dense forest or open grassland, preferring the points in between instead. Magpies have flourished in the UK in the past few decades, and their population trebled between 1970 and 1990, and has stabilised since then. So there's no doubt that magpies have become commoner, and thanks to landfill sites providing them with food, milder winters, and a big reduction in the illegal use of poison baits, the number of released pheasants that end up as carrion on the roads, and probably farming practices such as silage making, favouring them too. Whether you live in the town or country, you can help look after garden birds by providing wildlife friendly gardens that includes water and having the very very best food available for them, foods like Peter and Paul. For more information regarding Peter and Paul wild bird foods, please check out the Peter and Paul website at www.peter-and-paul.com or pop into one of their wonderful Pets Corner stores. And the nearest store to you can be found in the Pets Corner website at www.petscorner.co.uk. Well that's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed this look at magpies. For further birds please continue to check out the stream and I look forward to speaking to you soon.